0: Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins, and I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn Alex Meacham I'm on Snapchat at Big Meach 41 and soon to be on TikTok that's right now this is the special edition of the podcast my interview series with a very special guest alright Bearcat fans I'm excited to welcome in this next guest. He played for UC from 1998 to 2000. And listen, I tweeted out that I was hunting down Pete Michael to come on the show. And I'm telling you, Twitter went crazy. Bearcat fans love this guy. I tweeted
1: out, and I'll read some of these tweets real quick. I tweeted out that I'm hunting down Pete Michael, hoping to get him on the show. Somebody said, oh, man, can't wait. Love that guy. Somebody else said, "Set it forever. Not sure there's been a more excellent UC player across the board that was talked about less in terms of the greats. That guy did it all. Ultimate winner. My favorite
2: Bearcat.
0: I go on and on about the tweets about this guy. Bearcat fans have been wanting to hear from him, so I'm excited to welcome in. Big-time fa- fan favorite one of my favorite teammates, Bearcat Legend, number thirty two, Pete Michael. What's going on, Pete?
1: Oh, everything good, man. Just relax and quarantine at the house for a little bit and join the family.
0: No doubt, man. And uh Bearcat fans want to know what you've been up to. So uh give us a rundown of what you're doing now.
1: Oh well you know I retired in two thousand seventeen. So I played so I was thirty nine years old baseball. Um played in six different countries. Um I have been the last three years. I was pro personnel scout with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and now I'm currently pro personnel scout with the Washington Wizards. So uh, right now we're, you know, in the process of building, putting together a new team. We got a new GM in Tommy Shepard. We got a mm-hmm. full new staff. The first time the Wizards have ever had a pro personnel staff in the history. You know, the organization since Ted Leonsa, the uh, owner, has took over since 2010. So we're excited, you know, to bring a new element to the Wizards front office. So I, that's what I've been doing Been on the road, grinding about 15 days a, a month, just hitting the road, looking at different players, looking at European players, college players, and everybody, South America, Asia, G League, NBA, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm everywhere in the world looking at players. That's great, man. That's great to hear what you're doing now, staying involved with the game of basketball. And one thing I want to do is I want to rewind the tape and I want to start back to high school and kind of go through your career uh, with basketball. And you had a tremendous career. And it all started in Rock Island, New York. Oh, I'm sorry, Rock Island, Illinois. I'm sorry.
2: Yep. Uh, where Illinois. you
1: played high school basketball there.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you were, now, when you you were the all time leading scorer in Rock Island, yep. correct? Yeah, so it's a, this is an unbelievable story about a small city. Quad Cities is the name of the area I'm from. Small area, about 250,000 people. Rock Island itself has about 50,000 people, but it's such a great sports town. Uh, it's on the border of Iowa, probably about 45 minutes from Iowa City, two hours from Chicago, and so it's this smack right there in the middle. Uh, Midwest, so growing up, um, Don Nelson, the great Don Nelson that mm-hmm. coached the Mavs and the Warriors. I broke his forty year record. He had a forty year record of high school and I broke his forty year record scoring. Single season, all time leading score, both of his every record you could imagine I broke. So and I did this all for a guy named Duncan Reed, who was a legend in Illinois, coaching basketball, never got to the NBA level, but he was a legend in high school. But so did it all with a guy named Duncan Reed. So we had a ton of success. Um, I mean, I'll tell you what, I played against some of the best players in high school, Kevin Mm. Uh,
2: Barnett,
1: guys in Peoria, we have A.J. Guyton, you know, guys like that, I mean, I've played against them all, I mean, so uh, we've had a great success, obviously we didn't lose at home in my whole career, Uh, that's kind of where the winning started at, and we won two Western Big Six championships, we lost in a state championship two years in a row. So we had success. you know, that's where my success started. I've always won, always been a winner growing up. And this is kind of where it started for me. And then it just carried on for me to junior college, two-year junior college in Indian Hills Community College in Iowa. And then from there, i seen Mick Cronin showing up every day trying to get me, recruiting me to Cincinnati. (laughs) And that's kind of how it
2: happened.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and you were a player of the year in junior college? Yeah, it, it was a, you know, it was one of those situations where I came into a great situation. So there was a ton of guys before me in Rock Island that went to JUCO, and one of them actually went to Stephen University, and the other one went to Iowa State. And I'm sorry, Illinois State. So guys were very successful before me. So I went to that JUCO. It was between Indian Hills and Iowa, or then Indiana. Mhm. and so, Indiana has Sean Marion, so it was either team up with Sean Marion or play against him. So you know, I choose to play against them. You know, hmm. so it was one of those deals where I came in, we won seventy-two games in a row, and this is a a great competition. You know, I got indicted in the JUCO Hall of Fame in two thousand eighteen. Hmm. That was a great accomplishment in his own. And after twenty years of being there, won seventy-two games in a row, two national championships, and I was a Player of the Year, Finals MVP. Um, had great success, and then Mick Cronin was showing up, you know, and that's when everything started happening as far as being recruited. It was Iowa State, it was Michigan, it was Cincinnati, or St. Louis. Those are the four teams I was allowed to go and visit, only those mm-hmm. four teams. So okay. I took those four teams to go on visit. And it, it, the last two teams were between Cincinnati and Michigan. So I had to really say, and do I want to go to Michigan? Jalen Rose was kind of my idol growing up. I want to be like Jalen Rose and I play basketball. So <laughs> that was a big draw for Michigan. It was like, as a kid, I've been telling myself running up the hills in Rock Island, I want to be Jalen Rose and play at Michigan. This is as an eight-year-old. And then I get the opportunity to do it. And I get there, and I had just left Cincinnati. So Michigan was at a disadvantage. I was in Cincinnati and I went from Cincinnati to Michigan, which was a huge advantage for Michigan. Because when I arrived at UC, I mean, that was my, those are my type of guys that i seen working out in the gym. I've seen guys running these four-minute sprints out to pass out in the gym, <laughs> working hard in the weight room right after that. They had a, one of the strength coaches had his full body weight on the leg press, and guys was leg pressing the coach. And I said, "Hold mm-hmm. up, this is just—I got—I got to be here." I mean, you know, my style is a is a tough style, it's the hard no style. And then you have Bob Huggins, a guy who I enjoy playing for because he was just like my high school coach. So mm-hmm. I've been used to in discipline and playing for hard coaches. So Bob Huggins' style just fit my needs. So when I left Cincinnati, I didn't tell Mick at the time, but I was already coming to Cincinnati. He didn't know for a while.
2: Mm-hmm. So I was
1: to Michigan, and you know, I remember getting there, and I'll tell you what, I, I probably cried for 15 minutes when I sat in that hotel room. You know, because as a kid, at eight years old, it's your dream to you go to Michigan. And here I am, 20 years old, and I got a chance to do what I dreamed of doing all my life. Mm-hmm. And I get there, and it just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. Cincinnati was for me. I knew if I went to Cincinnati that I can grow. I can have growth. Um, I'm going to play in a winning program. I'm going to be coached hard, which I loved. And I thought that that helped me on and off the court, you know, with the discipline that Bob Huggins put into his players. So Mm -hmm. that's what it was all about for me. It it was total my decision. It wasn't a family decision. It was just me. And I made that decision before I even got on the airplane from Cincinnati to Ann Arbor. You know, so that's how it worked. And, you know, I just, I loved everything about it. You know, I, I, Cincinnati, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the campus. You know, I enjoyed, you know, I, I still got people there that I know to this day, great people. So I'm very happy with the decision to go there. And we had tremendous success, you know, yep. winning Conference USA two times, being ranked number one my senior year, basically, the, you know, the whole year, except for a few weeks. So. And people still talk about that that team you know i just did an article of yahoo sports two weeks ago and it was just about this subject that we're talking about they just about mm-hmm. that 2000 team on yahoo sports so yeah, it was an interesting article if you get a chance go check it out yeah no for sure and i, and I, I want to talk about each season specifically and so let, let's talk about your first year okay you arrive in cincinnati and clifton 1998 season um, and, and you know, there's Kenyon's there, Melvin, uh, Logan, Fletch, and you know, you come in and you you kind of round things out. And I'm I'm there as well, so I'm I'm watching all this stuff. Um, what were when you came in with all those other guys? What were your expectations that season for the team? Well, my whole life, my whole career has been about winning. That's, that's always been my number one goal. I had so much momentum of coming in from JUCO. Um, JUCO really helped me. First of all, it gave me two years to mature. It gave me two years to get my degree. And it gave me two years to be away from home without having to go to a big university. So I was able to make the adjustment of being in Iowa, which was still close to my home, two hours away. Mm -hmm. I was able to make that adjustment. Um, Kids leave home for the first time is very difficult when you go far away. And you don't have family with you, and it's kind of natural to be homesick, right? So this two years gave me a big adjustment period where I can go there, I can get my education, I can just focus on basketball. And you know where I was at in Iowa, in the town Iowa, it's a small city. There was nothing. There was nothing else to do but play basketball. So this was the best thing. I could have, the best thing could ever happen to me. But so mm-hmm. continued that trend when I left JUCO straight to Cincinnati. I didn't come into Cincinnati ever feeling like this is a big situation. This is, oh, I'm going to University of Cincinnati. You know, it was just a next step in my career. Mm-hmm. All I wanted to do was instill my style of play, which was being a two-way player, being able to score on all offensive end, and you know, able to play defense on the other, a complete player, and have installed what I've learned all my life into the Bearcat. And that season was kind of like a blur to me because I was so young,
2: my first time <laughs>
1: ever being <laughs> a big university like that, living on campus, and you know what? It was all business for me. It was all work. Wanna hurry up and get practice every day, work my butt off and get ready for the games. I'm mm-hmm. one of those guys my whole career. The way I practice is the way I play. hmm I agree so with that. I love practicing. Because if I had a bad practice I couldn't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. I had to hurry up and get back in the gym the next day. And that's kinda it's been like that my whole career. I was fortunate enough to win 12 cup championships in Spain where I played at for eight years and lucky enough to win a Euroleague also. So, you know, 13 championships I won in my career professionally and a lot of that style of play and that winning mentality came from high school, JUCO, and Cincinnati. So, you know, I'm always thinking about those days in Cincinnati. People, everywhere I go, people talk about that team. I could be in the airport (laughs) right now. And somebody will talk about that Cincinnati team in 2000. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. You talk about you being a complete player, which I agree with 100%. Your first year, I mean, if you go back and, and re-look at that schedule, I think we won our first 15 games, so on a 15-game winning streak, um, you were leading the team, 15 points a game, seven rebounds, just around two assists, um, really leading our team. And what a – I, and that that season for me uh, from a basketball standpoint that 1998 1999 season um will, will always be my favorite in my basketball career because of that great Alaskan shootout
2: oh yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, but
1: but actually before that before that game if you remember we played played Rhode Island with Lamar Odom oh yeah to beat them oh yeah i talked to lamar about that a few times uh <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what's interesting about that year is um, I had won 72 games in a row coming out of JUCO, and then I won my first 15 in Cincinnati. So I have won the last 87 games I've ever played in. Wow. Which is, you know, kind of incredible if you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. And we get to mm-hmm. UNC Charlotte, and I remember it like yesterday. That was my first game I had lost in three years after 87 mm-hmm. games. So to this day, I still remember that game, and every time I hear the school U N C Charlotte, it, you know, my stomach cringes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it was a it was a great experience, though. It was a great run, invisible run, but the team success for me was more important than anything else. Yep. Let's let's talk. But speaking of that team success, let's talk about that great Alaska shootout, man. Uh, what a <laughs> That was a that was a crazy trip going out there and uh, beating Southern Utah first, then beating Iowa State, and then the big game versus Duke. Yeah, it was great. You know, I see Trajan Langdon, you know, all the time. You know, I see Elden Brand, of course, the, the GM and the Sixers. You know, I see these guys all the time. So uh, Shane Battier, I see him down in Miami when I'm there. He worked with the, with the Heat, so all these guys are in the front office now. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it and you remind points. them too, right? You remind them who won that game. No, nah, I don't really remind them. Those guys are kind of focused on the, the business at hand, that game. And plus, you know, you don't want to rub it in. You don't want to rub it in to those guys. You know, you might need a job one day. You don't want to. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true.
2: That's <laughs> true. So, that's true.
1: So, but anyway, so, you know, that great Alaskan shootout was kind of the game that put me on the map, I would say. Uh, you know, you had Dick Vitale doing the game. Mm -hmm. And it was just such, I mean, those guys were so good. That was when Corey Maggette was just a monster among boys. He was a monster. He had a body like an NBA player already.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: he wasn't even their best player. You know, Elton Brand was their best player. Mm -hmm. Trajan was a great shooter. Shane Battier was used to do everything. Um, Then William Avery, I think, was a point guard at the time. Mm-hmm. he was probably the most talented player on their team. Mm-hmm. He was a point guard that can score, can handle it, can do it all. And he was probably the most talented player on their team. So you're dealing with a, a a great coach in Sushesky and you're also dealing with a Duke team with unbelievable size. Shooting, defense, they have the whole package. So we approached that game like we approached in the other game. We wanted to go and just really give it to them. You know, we mm-hmm. we thought that Nobody practices harder than we do. Nobody works harder than we do. So if we can instill that physicality and that toughness and the rebounding and defense that we're known for on this team, then we'll have a chance to win. So that's what we did. No question. that And that last play, and you know this, Pete, man, people in the city still talk about that last play, that, that home run play, um, which – I will always remember, and it's crazy that we beat Duke on a play that they kind of made famous. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the play was so good because we had Ryan Fletcher taking the ball out who probably can throw the ball 50, 60 yards.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, he's that he was that good of an athlete and that big. And then you give it to the guy who has probably the best first and second jump in the whole NBA. Mm-hmm. So you give it to a guy who six eight, six nine, wide shoulders? He basically boxed his man out <laughs> like he was going up for a rebound. Mm-hmm. And to have the presence in the field to be able to make that play kind of like a no look pass basically. Tip yep. pass. And then have Melvin Levitt be able to you know, he's he a helicopter to be able <laughs> to just get off his feet so quick and score the basket was just unbelievable. You can't draw that up. There's no mm-hmm. way you can draw that play up no matter mm-hmm. how many times hug through that play up it had to just happen naturally yep. and it happened that way it happened because yep. i was on the other side of the play mm-hmm. and i wasn't open my guy was face guarding me and i think when Kenyon got the ball it just created so much tension because mm-hmm. he was so big and he got the ball and naturally when somebody gets the ball as a defender you help a little bit that way, and that's what happened, and bam, perfect pass. It was all history, you know? Yeah. I still remember that play to this day. It was a great play, and to win it, and that was a – I'll tell you what, of all my years playing basketball, that was probably our best – that was my best bonding experience mm. with the team. So we mm-hmm. did have to after early, if you remember, and we, we're all shooting guns. We're shooting those clay pigeons. I'm oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that, yep. I remember like it was yesterday. So yep. we're shooting clay pigeons, everybody shooting the gun, shooting clay pigeons. That was cool. We all had like breakfast, lunch, and dinner together, kind of what they do in Europe, where everybody sits around and talks. So it was a great bonding experience. So that mm-hmm. laughing trip was like the one of the best trips I've ever had, you know?
2: Mm. And it yep. was a
1: great bonding experience, and it really propelled us to have a great season. And that's kind of what happened. The momentum mm-hmm. just carried from there. No, know, that's so funny you bring up shooting those clay pigeons because I remember that. You remember Eugene Land? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Gene, Gene, if if you remember, so Gene was my high school teammate. So mm-hmm. high school and college, so I knew Gene real well. Well, we're shooting those clay pigeons, and, and, like, no one's, like, really, really good at it. But Gene was, like, knocking them things down, and Hugs is like, why, why are you so good at shooting this gun, man? Is there something mm-hmm. I should know? But I remember, and it was like freezing out there. And that that was that was such a great trip, great bonding trip. I I totally agree with you on that. And I think that going into this season, I don't think people had like super super high expectations for this team. But I, I, I'm and I'm not saying this just because you and I are talking. I have tweeted this before. I truly believe the reason this team came together and played as well as we did was because of you. You were you are our best player on the, on the team, you know, points-wise, rebound-wise, assist-wise, and you really, you know, I think kind of brought everything together for this team. Yeah, you know, it was, um, you know, like I said before, no mama was too big for me. And mm-hmm. from being a player here in JUCO, having that experience, like I mentioned before, and just coming to C- Cincinnati, coming into a program that, like I said, I don't know what the expectations were. But I'll tell you what, when I got the preseason practice, I realized that we had talent on the team. Yep. And you know what? We just played so hard. And it showed. You know, we played hard. It showed uh, the way Hugs coach fit my personality. It fit mm-hmm. my game. It was a perfect marriage for me those two years. I'll tell you that. You know, no matter yep. if we won or lost, that was the best situation I could have made um instead of going to a different university i went to the right place and paid off no doubt i mean this and i want to get into that 1999 2000 um season that you were talking about earlier um and and now we go from i think the season before where at the beginning the expectations weren't extremely high but 15 game winning streak they do, I mean, the expectations started to grow that year, lose the Temple in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think they had Pepe Sanchez that year. Oh, yeah. um, but going into that 1999-2000, uh, you, Kenyon, Dermar, uh, Logan, Kenny, Tate, Stokes, going off the top of my head, I'm sure I'm missing some people, but, I mean, the expectations were through the roof with this group, loaded. Um yeah. speaking of loaded, um, I'll never forget the Slam magazine where the cover was me and Kenyon. It said Loaded for Bear. So <laughs> it was the, that was the cover on Slam magazine, Loaded uh, for Bear.
2: Yeah.
1: This kind of started to build momentum. You know, like oh these guys are good. They're wearing the, the you know, black socks, the black jersey, the mm-hmm. Cincinnati bear cat on the shoes with the Jordan brand. Mm-hmm. The Jordan jerseys. I mean just the old Michigan team, or what? You know, it's
2: like
1: <laughs> you know, it's like you guys just brought it back, and then you got the the hugs, the yelling, screaming, the cursing, the aggressive mentality, and then you got players that match that. So it's like a perfect situation where sometimes we're winning the games, we're winning by thirty, and the hucks fifty mm-hmm. out in the locker room saying, "You guys should have won by 50. Yep. So when you have that type of pressure from your head coach, that's never satisfied. It keeps you from feeling good about yourself Mm -hmm. thinking I've accomplished anything. And this is what I did respect about Bob Huckett. He never lets you feel good about yourself because the ultimate goal was to win a championship. Yep. If You didn't win the championship. Then you'll feel like you had no success that whole year. And that coaching style is what I'm kind of used to all my life. And it's worked because I've had coaches in Europe the same way. So, um, that's kind of where it started. You know, it started then. It started in preseason. It just, you know, we all were coming to our own. You know, we had, we had got praise for having a good year, um, losing into a tournament like you said, and then all of a sudden now it's our time. You know, now we go to, you know, we go to Chicago, we play North Carolina in the grade eight, and everybody yep. thinks it's going to be such a great game, and it turns out to be a blowout. Beat them. Yep. I mean, we we're that good. I mean, that's yep. how good we were. You know, we had, we had young guys like Satterfield, um, Steve Logan, you know, DeMar Johnson, you know, all these young guys that stepping into a role straight out of high school or, or prep school, and they're coming in, they're playing well, like they've been in college for a while.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: This was the difference with our team. We had young guys that was already well well past their years, and they came in and really helped us. Plus, we had toughness. We had rebounding, We had Kenyon, who – like, I'll tell, I tell people this story all the time. When me and Kenyon, we both got selected to the World University Games in Mallorca, in Palma de Mallorca in Spain for the U.S. US World Games. Mm-hmm. And then I, I just left. We just left um, Dayton, Ohio for making the team, and we fly to Spain, and Kenyon Martin was a second-leading scorer, second-leading rebounder in our junior year. But when he gets to Spain, I see a different player that I've never seen before
2: mm-hmm. he
1: was Kenya was always good no matter if he was leading scorer second or third Kenya was always good
2: hmm
1: and this he turned from good to great mm-hmm. in fame I promise yep. you that and I've seen it firsthand when we got back off that airplane from Spain winning the gold medal this guy it was like little kids playing against a grown man he was our leader he was our leading score, leading rebounder, leading in block. And he established himself as like the first pick in the draft in a World University game.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: he carried that momentum all the way through the whole season.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I watched his transformation from those two years I was there. And I'll tell you what, it was impressive to watch. It was no super doubt. impressive to watch. Because he got everything he deserved.
2: You know? mm-hmm.
1: Everything he deserved. Because he put the work in. And he got that first pick. Even when he was hurt, he still was first pick in the draft. And he got everything he deserved in his career. Yeah, no no question. And speaking of Kenyon, I mean, we've got to talk about the um, the broken leg against St. Louis and Memphis. Yeah. And and, and what it did um, to the team, um, kind of the reaction of all the players when it actually happened. So if you could take us through that. Yeah, well, you know, playing against St. Louis – uh, they were always a, a a team that we never thought about having any problems with. You know, usually a 20, 30-point victory. Mm-hmm. But we knew it was a conference championship, so it's going to be a little tougher. They ran a lot of zone. Everybody ran zone and it's making them shoot three. Uh, I'll take you back to the ESPN game. Louisville ran zone, and it's the Marjansky had seven threes in the first half. So I didn't think that was a good game plan by St. Louis for running the zone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, you know, Kenyon, their running zone, a pass, Kenyon, the ball at the top of the key. He turns around a pivot because the play called for him to turn around and pivot, reverse pivot, you know, and he had a lane. And uh, I, I don't know exactly how it happened, but somehow he, he twists his ankle. So, mm-hmm. um, obviously, you know, the history of what happened, but I'll tell you one thing, um, I was more worried about Kingan as a person, not as a basketball player, because he was a teammate of mine for two years, and we we're competitors competing against each other all the time. But when something like that happened, the instincts kick in. As forget about King the a basketball player, I want to focus on him as a person, just to make sure he was okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and it, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't good to see your teammate that you didn't put so much work in with. You know, hurting like that. You know, not being able to walk. Um, Of course, he's emotional. He wants to play. And I I thought that when we left the locker room to come out and play that game, Kenyon was still on everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we could have played that second half, and it showed Mm -hmm. we lost. Yeah. And then we lost. We had no emotions after we lost.
2: Mm -hmm. We didn't
1: feel sorry for ourselves. Everybody was just thinking about Kenyon. And, you know, not about the NCAA tournament or anything else, just The person, you know, because when you got a guy like that, that plays with so much emotions, he, he keeps everybody accountable and that's your leader of the team. You really want to help. You want to play for him. You Mm -hmm. know, you know, I, it's funny. Yahoo Sports asked me a question. They said, well, you're the leading scorer, rebounded junior year. And then how do you feel about Kenyon, you know, taking over what you did in, in your senior year? I said, Kenyon never took over what I did. Kenyon is a four-year player for Bob Huggins, Cincinnati. This is a natural transition.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: First of all, when a guy is on fire like he was a whole year, I'm all about winning. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. Right. If if that's what it takes to win, I'm all for it. You're never going to hear anything out of me. And I, and obviously, all I cared about was making sure I liked my man out of playing defense anyway. Mm-hmm. I cared care less about who scored this and who didn't score, you know. That was always my mentality.
2: So mm-hmm.
1: uh, he got everything he deserved, you know. I just wish that, you know, for a player, a player of the year, first pick in the draft, could finish his career, his college career out, you know, the way it should be with a national championship. Because, oh, yeah. Uh, with our team and our chemistry and our rhythm, uh, with Kenyon, with the way we played, we knew our role, we accepted it. And with that team, there's no doubt about it, you know, if we're 100% healthy, that we have a chance to win the national championship.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't go out on the and say we're going to win it because there's a lot of things that come involved with that. First of all, it's not only about the talent. It's about coaching, too. You know, you're going against the ISO. You have to prepare a little differently than you prepare against regular teams. You know, we mm-hmm. went against Bill Self and Tulsa. You 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 figured out quick how good a coach Bill Self was, mm-hmm. you know. So remember, his talent is one thing, but then game plan coaching is another thing. So yep. that would have been Huggs' perfect opportunity to put himself in the category as one of the elite coaches.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And those are the kind of situations that I feel bad about. You know, not about myself, but about Kenyon not being able to finish his college career and, and Huggs not being able to win that national championship, and he had the team where he deserved to win it.
2: You know, yep. so
1: and, and I've always been about winning, so that's what I was all about. So I was disappointed, you know. Yeah, no question. And um, listen, I I firmly believe that uh, and NCAA is always a, a tough situation. Some teams shoot the ball well, and sometimes they don't. Upsets happen, but you you guys were different, man. It was just yeah. one of those teams. You got. I tell people like, you guys were different, and even if. Even if you got, I told somebody this, they were like, "Well, what if what if the Bearcats weren't cold shooting?" I said, "Don't a... know how good defensively that team was." Well, Am I right? How good we are in the low post, also. I was a mm-hmm. three, and I post up like I was a four or five.
2: Yeah, King true. Martin
1: can post? You know, Ryan Fletcher can post. I mean, you had guys that can post. So we're not shooting. We can get to the free throw line. We can pound guys. We can get, we can put pressure on the basket to make those guys foul, Their big guys foul. That way, at the end of the game, we're playing without their big. That's a big issue in an NCAA tournament is to play without your big. So you got to look at it that way also. We put so much pressure. Our guards penetrate so well and they can finish. That's a lot of pressure on the defense. So mm-hmm. it's not all about cold night shooting. We could beat teams having a bad night shooting, but we, there's no way we're going to have a bad night shooting. We had mm-hmm. too many good shooters, and we had too many guys that play their role as slasher slash post guys. So you got to, you know, everybody talk about two way players in the NBA. If you look at our team, we have a team full of two way players. So two way guys that can do everything on both ends. See, when you have those type of guys, you don't worry about bad shooting night because if mm-hmm. you're shooting bad, guess what you do? You pound the ball inside where nobody can guard you one on one. Yep, that's what you yep. do. Yeah, great point. Now, I want to dive into this Um, and just looking through your career professionally, it's I mean, you've had a great professional career. And if you could just kind of talk to us about your path with that, your journey. Yeah. So after I left Cincinnati, um, I I went down to um, Indianapolis and um, started working out with a well, actually I went to Bloomington, IU. It was in Indianapolis first, then I went down to Bloomington to live for a few months to get ready for the draft. So a mm-hmm. guy named Joe Bunasar, who's now um blown up, he's big time. He he works at all the NBA players at of Impact Gym out of Las Vegas. Uh huh. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I went down with Joe, start working out with Joe, getting ready for the draft. So um I take it through Chicago pre draft was not a good draft for me. It was not a good workout. I didn't have a great performance there. I thought that hurt my draft status. And individual workouts, I didn't have... Yeah, Orlando was probably my best individual workout. Um, that was pretty good. Uh, I had Marcus Fizer there, Darius Miles. Kenyon was there. He didn't participate, but he was there. Mm-hmm. And one other. So it's all like top draft pick guys. And I probably was the best player in that workout. And I still think... It hurt my my draft status by not having great workouts. Um, most of them wasn't, you know, professionally put on, and I dropped all the way down to 58 in the draft. Get drafted, uh, spent the draft night in Cincinnati. Um, got drafted 58, and from that moment on, it really motivated me to prove everybody wrong about me that I could have been a lottery draft pick a first-round draft pick, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I get I get drafted to the Dallas Mavericks. Donnie, Don Nelson drafts me, Mark Cuban. Uh, it's their first year in, drafts me. And I got a history with Donnie Nelson. I broke all his records. He drafted mm-hmm. me the head coach. And um, then they traded me to New York on, on draft night, a three-team trade. So I was all excited to go to Dallas, very excited, because I knew I probably had a chance to play. And then I get traded 30 minutes later to the Knicks. And I knew that when that happened, I knew that wasn't going to be a good situation. Um, so I get drafted to the Knicks. I get there. And the good situation means I'm playing with all veteran guys. They're just coming off the NBA championship. They lost of San Antonio in the final mm-hmm. in 99. I get there, and I'm the youngest guy on the team. And the second closest youngest guy was Marcus Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. everybody else is in their high 30s. You had Larry Johnson, you had Trill Sprewell, you had Glenn Rice, Chris Childs, Charlie Ward, Allen Houston. Allen Houston was still a little younger, but you had all this veteran team, and it's like Jeff Van Gundy's the coach. And Jeff Van Gundy comes in, and he's like, he writes all 15 players' names on the board. He said, these are the only eight players that's going to play. And this was kind of like my moment of my life where I realized, that I, I better get my ass moving <laughs> because uh-huh. my name was not on that 8 player list. And that was the moment where it really, really motivated me. i had always been All-American in college. I've always won. I've always started. I've always played. And that was the one moment where it's like, okay, these people saying you're not good enough, right? In my uh-huh. head, thinking that. But luckily, I had a assistant coach in Tom Thibodeau, who, who's actually who the guy the same guy who hired me in Minnesota. I've kept a relationship with Thibodeau for twenty years now. Mm-hmm. Um Thibodeau was my assistant coach. Well besides being an assistant coach, he was more like a do it all type of trainer where he would get in the weight room with me. The, you know coaches they don't do this anymore and he got in the weight room with me, he worked me out an hour before the game, then he worked me out an hour after the game. Plus Thibodeau coached me in two summer weeks. Mm -hmm. So I I created a great bond with Coach Thibodeau, and that's what kept my head right, because Tibbs never let you feel sorry for yourself. Mm -hmm. He's a Bob Huggins type of guy. Mm -hmm. They're cut from the same cloth. He will work, work, and work you, and work you to get you to get better. So that time, when your opportunity comes, you're ready to go. And that's what I've always respected about him. So even though I didn't get to play that year for the Knicks, um, I talked to Jeff about it. He said, you know what, I can't play you because if this was another city, a small market, maybe I can play you. But look, I got guys in your position making $15 million a year and their agent is calling me telling me they don't have enough time mm-hmm. to play. So you're a rookie, just wait your turn, keep working hard. We know how hard you work and just keep doing your thing. So mm-hmm. you know, I didn't think I got a good opportunity in New York at all because he wouldn't play me. But mm-hmm. I, mean, you know, I understand from a coach's standpoint that you got to make tough decisions sometimes, right? So, I mean, he didn't play the other seven guys either. <laughs> so, right. And, um, and you talk about Luke Longley, a guy who won a championship with Chicago Bulls and got yeah. not play these guys either. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it was a different style, you know, saying you're only going to play eight players. You know, that's a different style I mean, So, you know, that happened to me. And then that's when my overseas career started mm-hmm. so I leave there and I go to Poland straight from New York so I fly from New York to Poland and because they had they had released me for my contract in January you have to be guaranteed after January 5th so they released yeah. me like the day before January and it was Scott Layton actually Scott Layton the same guy who I worked with the last two years in, in uh, Minnesota Scott Layton, he was the GM at the time so they released me in January. So I go over to Poland, and I get to Poland, and I just I'm just coming from the NBA. So obviously this is a little shell shocking. So I get there, and I'm like, oh no, I got to get out of here, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And the coach is like, oh, we like you, we like you, mm-hmm. we have to, we want you. Can do you want to stay? I'm like, oh, I don't think so. I got to leave, you know. I, I wasn't a fan of it. I wasn't comfortable. It's all about the comfort level. So I'm calling my agent at the time. Who's Andy Miller? I think everybody knows who Andy Miller is. Calling Andy Miller, I'm like, Andy, you got to get me out of here, man. He said, Well, there's no other job. That's it. And I'm like, Well, if there's no other job. I'm not staying here, you know? So I, I told the coach, I said, Listen, man, I respect your program. I know what you're doing here. I would love to be here. I'm just not comfortable. If you don't get my flight out tomorrow, then I'm going to have to buy my own flight and get out of here. And, um, they finally got me out of there and I get back to New York and I fired my agent that day, you know, because I wasn't happy about the situation.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, I started another journey. I signed with a guy named George Bass, who I thought was a a great, great agent, great, probably better person than agent. And George mm-hmm. Bass, um, signed me with the Rockets. So I signed with Houston, um, that was Yao Ming's first year. Steve Francis, Catino Mobley, signed with the Rockets, and that Carol Dawson was the GM of that team. Uh, signed with the Rockets, so I get there, and I'm having probably, I'm probably like at the stage, probably past where I was at in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. a lot more better shooting ball, great, um, same body, same everything, great condition, great shape after spending time in Europe. So we get the preseason. And I remember this like yesterday, we fly to St. Louis and we had to play Portland trail Blazers. So we're playing Portland and Rudy T is a coach, Rudy Tom John is great mm-hmm. late person. Right. So Rudy, the coach and he's like, he get in. I'm like, yeah, preseason. I'm in. This is my turn. This is my time. I've been waiting for it. So I probably played probably 20 minutes in the first half. And I finished the game. I finished the first half with 17 points. Mm. And, probably you know all jump shots so it's kind of like i'm finally coming into my zone mm-hmm. so right before halftime happens my foot started burning like somebody's cooking a skillet under my foot that's what it felt like
2: mm-hmm. and i like,
1: hold up what's wrong so i'm limping now but then i'm still playing because i'm too tough i can't come out the game that's
2: my mentality
1: yep and this is my opportunity to, to finally get a guaranteed deal right because i didn't find a guaranteed deal in camp i just found a camp deal so I finally get in the locker room, and they made me leave the court. I get in the locker room right before halftime, and I'm in there holding. I got, I got tape, and I never get tape. So I'm in there holding my foot. I cut the tape off. So I cut the tape off, and my whole foot is white, like a sheet of paper. Uh-huh. And everybody's like, what the – you know, because the the problem that I had was not common in players. You're seeing it more now, but it wasn't common. So my foot is wide, and I'm holding my foot, and I'm squeezing it because it's hurting so bad. So we fly back from St. Louis to Houston. Um, I go to the Methodist Hospital in Houston, University of Houston Hospital, and there's a guy named Dr. Monts there. He was a team doctor, and he said, man, let's, let's put this, um, let's examine you and see what's going on. So they put this liquid in my body where you can see all my blood cells, and everything in my foot was white. There was no blood. So that was kind of an issue. So it's like, oh, I think you got a blood clot in your foot. And I'm hmm. like, blood clot? I'm like 22 years old, 23. I'm like, what the hell is a blood clot? You know, I'm young. <laughs> right. No idea. I said, well, I don't care if it's a blood clot. Cut it out so I can play tomorrow. You know, he said, it right, don't work that way. <laughs> <You>
2: know,
1: <laughs> right. It doesn't work that way. I said, well, cut it out and I'll play next week. He said, nah, doesn't work that way either. Now, this is a situation where we might have to cut your foot off whoa, you got no blood, but you have no blood anywhere close to your foot. And I said, what? That's the reality kind of hit me. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm thinking about basketball. I'm not thinking about myself at the time. And, you know, I'm like, I just had the best game of my NBA career, which is mm. a short career.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: get a blood clot in my foot in St. Louis. And how did this happen? And we did a million tests and came back. Oh, maybe it's hereditary. You got a deficiency of protein C, protein S in your body, that, Nine, I still still no answer. So I had the surgery and the first got the hospital was Rudy T. Uh Rudy T comes there and he tells me about the story he had when he got punched in the face and you know, he had to sift through <laughs> a straw for a long time. Yep. And you know, we talked for a long time and Dennis Lindsey, who's now the GM with the president over at the Utah Jazz was the assistant GM at the time, and a guy named Carol Dawson was the GM. So those guys come to the to the hospital, and Carol Dawson is like, "Hey, guess what? You know, we're gonna guarantee your contract for the whole rest of the year." We're gonna mm-hmm. you, like, what?
2: You know, I'm young, and
1: I'm like, hold up, this is crazy. And he said, "Oh no, you're gonna stay here in Houston, you're gonna do all your rehab once you get better. We'll let you go back to Miami, back to your home, and this and that." And I was like, wow. You know, this is crazy. So I was in the hospital for about 11 days, and I finally get out. A guy named Terrence Morris, was NBA player, actually my teammate in Barcelona, came and picked me up. He was my teammate, came and picked me up from the hospital, took me to my apartment. And then from that day on, i make a, a long story short since I've already made it long. From that day on, it's been like a mission for me to play to never, never take anything for granted Mm -hmm. because sometimes you take things for granted, right? Because you're always invincible. You're just a basketball player. You're tough. You know, you're the most physical guy out there. Nobody can match you. But Mm -hmm. when things like this happen, blood clot happens in your foot and you don't know why it happened, it's kind of like, okay, you need to slow down, right? So (laughs) I slowed down. I did the rehab, stayed with Houston Yao Ming's first year. So I was able to Speak to Yao, able to talk to him. He didn't really speak much English at the time and able to be around a great organization, the Houston Rockets. Mm-hmm. So I finally leave in February or March, heading back to Miami. That's when I just decided, man, you know what? I need to go play somewhere. My agent's like, man, it's a team in Greece that really wants you. How about you go over here there, and we're treated as rehab and you rehab for six months and then you come back to the NBA. That was the plan. The plan was never to stay in Europe forever, like I did. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this was 2003. And actually, before that, I was playing for a guy named Bill Bano, who's now assistant coach at Indiana Pacers. I played for Bill Bano in the ABA, Yakima Sun Kings in Washington, state of mm-hmm. Washington. So I was playing with him for a few games, and then I got the call from my agent, and, and uh, Bill Bano was like, oh, man, we're we hate. we miss you. You know, we don't want you to leave, but I know it's a better opportunity in Greece. So I go to Greece, and the best thing that ever happened to me. The best, the funnest basketball I ever had in my career. And I played for a great coach. His name is R.G. Pedelike's Greek coach. Great. He taught me the European game. Because in Europe, uh they put the ball down first before they move. And
2: then totally we, we do totally a lot different. of traveling. We
1: do a lot of traveling in the NBA. Yep. So he taught me how to play the Euro step. So I started doing a Euro step in 2003, something I've never done before. I started putting the ball down first before I even moved my body. So, and I had tremendous success with him. The next year I played for him in another team, had tremendous success. And you know what? That was a year that propelled me to Spain. Spain, if you get to Spain, that's the best league in Europe. That's the second mm. best league in the world compared to the NBA. hmm So I got to Spain in 2006, and from there, my career just took off. I mean, I played eight years there. Um, I got a chance to play in FD Barcelona, which was the team I've always wanted to play for when I was living in Spain, and won the EuroLeague Championship with Ricky Rubio, Mm -hmm. uh, Gwyneth, Mario Hezonia, all those young guys that, you know, we had a team full of all draft picks. Our starting five was all draft picks, NBA draft picks. We had Fran Vasquez, who was the number 11 draft pick in the draft. Juan Carlos Navarro, We played the Memphis Grizzlies and a few other teams, and we just had – the list goes on. So we had a real NBA team, mm-hmm. and we, we won everything. We won 20 games out of 22 in the league. kind of that Cincinnati year, that dominant. Got
2: mm-hmm. to the
1: finals, uh, Patrick Beverly, you know, plays yeah. Blazer, all these guys are on the other side. Um, just all Josh Childress. Josh Childress is on the other side, and we beat those guys in the 2010 EuroLeague Championship, which, which was in France, which is in Paris. So I've had a tremendous career overseas. Uh, my kids was born in Barcelona. My wife I met in Barcelona, and it is, for me, our second home, Barcelona. That is where... We, I will retire, and that's where I will live once I finish, you know, this really Really? Yeah, That that is my home. You love it that much over there. Wow. I, I probably got more, more friends over there than I do here. You know, I still got my same high school friends that I grew up with here, mm. here in the States. And besides that, there's not many more than that. So over there, I've established myself as a, you know, not just an athlete, but more as a, um, a guy that's going to do business there in the future once i finish here so yeah can that, learn, that's And you learn language yeah 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 oh yeah, yeah. i mean I, you have no choice you know, yeah being in so many years and you know my wife my kids they all speak a little spanish and my wife's russian so we all speak a little different language you know dinner table we speak one language maybe somewhere else we speak another language so it's just <laughs> one of those situations where We, um, multicultural, you know, my kids uh, are, you know, lived around the world from my oldest son. He's only eight, but he's lived in Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Argentina, and Barcelona. Wow. he's lived everywhere, you know? So now he's finally settled down since I have this job. You know, I I retired at 39, but the reality is I I wanted to play another year and I would have played another year except for, you know, I called Tom Thibodeau and, He gave me this job, so I finally retired. You know, my whole goal, my whole career was to play till I was 40. It didn't matter where, which league. I just wanted to play till I was 40. And, you know, (laughs) I got one year away, and when Tom Thibodeau said he's giving me the job, I said, I got to take it. This is what I didn't want. I want to get an NBA. Right. I I have ambitions to be a a GM of an NBA team, and I don't don't think anything's going to stop me from doing that because I'm going to keep going until I I get to that level. And once I get to that level, then I'm going to have another goal to try yeah. to accomplish. Right. Kind of like you did your whole career with basketball. Yeah. Same thing in, in the front office. Front office is, you know, when I say to be a GM, I'm talking about being able to put the work in first.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: right now, I'm learning from some great guys. If you look at our pro side, we have Antoine Jameson. You yep. know, we, we, they made it very diverse. Antoine Jamison, LeBron Proffitt, those guys both played in the NBA. You know, then you have, you have know, a couple guys that coached in the G League, one guy coached in the NBA, and then you got me that played over in Europe. So you have, like, diverse groups that mm-hmm. all bring their ideas together. And then you have my boss is Johnny Rogers. He was VP of scouting. He was a great player in Europe. He was one of the few Americans that ever got a Spanish passport and played on the Spanish national team. And he's American. So mm-hmm. he had a great career. He won two League championships. You know, he played for Panther in Greece. In the Melbourne and another one in Real Madrid. But mm-hmm. now you've put all these successful guys in one front office, and I think this has been great. Our, our season has been great. What we've been able to try to accomplish in the front office is we got a long way to go, but we're we're on the right path, you know, to get our team where we want it to be. And I think next year and the year following, you'll start seeing a better Washington Wizards team.
2: Mm, yep.
1: Isn't it amazing? I'm, I'm listening to your story and just um... – just the path i always find it fascinating the path players take after college and to me man i mean it's amazing what basketball does for people the connections you make and you talk about thibodeau the connection you kept with him which leads you to your job currently and just being able to go around the world learn different cultures have your family yeah i
2: I mean it
0: amazing i mean Pete, there are so many. You are, I don't even know what percentage you would be, but you are such a small percentage of people that have a chance to
1: do that, to go all around the world. Such a small percentage get to do that. Yeah, I'll tell you, I take something from every place I play. I play in South Korea, which I love. The people there are great. I played in the Philippines, great experience. I played in Russia, I played in Greece. And then I spent eight years in Spain, mm. the place that I love. So I'm able to create relationships with people from around the world. And I was just talking to people in Korea the other day. They said, how you guys doing in the States? He said, our coronavirus is finally wiped out. How you guys doing? So it's like, guys are mm. calling them. Hey, how you doing? How's your family doing? You know,
2: relationships. Yeah.
1: And those are the relationships I want to keep because as a scout, sometimes you have to go to Asia. Sometimes you got to go to Europe. Sometimes you got to go to Australia. And you want to have as many people. You want to be well liked. You want to have as uh-huh. many people in these places as possible for your connection. Sure. As a scout, things depend so much on relationships. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to build a huge database in my phone of relationships of guys that I can call up so I can get good information about players. You know, because yeah. I might have to go all the way back to high school to call a coach to get information mm. about a player that we're going to take. And I need mm-hmm. to know who he was back in high school, who he was in elementary. I need to know that. That's part of my job. Yep. Yep. And, and I want to talk quickly. Um, you talked about Barcelona and, you know, we don't have to get into the game uh, a whole lot, but you guys played the Lakers. Uh, I know a lot of the Bearcat fans watched that game and you and Kobe went back and forth and um, <laughs> I'm watching that game. I'm like, that's the kid I know. I'm like, yeah, you, you don't care that's Kobe. You think he cares that's Kobe Bryant? Like to him that's some guy wearing twenty four or whatever, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That that was that was obviously the probably the funnest game I've ever played in my life. I mean, mm-hmm. it's probably one of my best also. Yep. But I'll tell you what. Um I I wrote this before I said, when you play against Kobe Bryant he brings out the best in you. So you better bring your A game. If not, (laughs) he will embarrass you. Yep. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. So this is my mentality. I know Kobe's coming. I know I have to guard him. But then also, I know he has to guard me. Mm hmm So I'm looking at a two-way street, and I'm saying to myself, you know, he's coming to Barcelona, coming to our place. Paul Gasol, who's a really good really good guy. Now, I'm real close with his brother, Marc Gasol, with good friends.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I post all the Barcelona guys from Barcelona. So um, he's coming back in town, and it's like, hey, we're going to Barcelona. We're going to get in shape. We're going to have a preseason game against this team. No pressure, no nothing. But we're looking at it as, hey, this is a game to prove that we're the best team. We can play in the NBA also.
2: Mm-hmm. We're the best
1: in Europe, and we can play in the NBA. And we have two seven-footers in our lineup, <laughs> you know? Like our five, are two seven-footers both play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And then we got a four-man who, who got drafted by the Spurs. So we have, like, and then we got Terrence Morris, who played for the Houston Rockets, and other yep. team. We got a complete team here. Then we got Ricky Rubio, who's, like, the young guy, Pistol like Pete Maravich, who was the fifth pick in the NBA draft. So we have a different team. It's just not, like, a regular team. So when the game started, I mean, 18,000 people, unbelievable, packed. Mm-hmm. Everybody, all the stars out, everybody, all the football players, Messi, PK, all the guys come out to the game. And – it's like a big show, and we were ready because, remember, I will tell you this about that game. You're going against a team that just won the yearly championship and us, and plus we had already started preseason like a month ago. So I will say this. We were in a lot better shape than them, and I don't think it was fair to them that they came in in preseason and we beat them like we did because just because they're the NBA team. They wasn't ready. They had only been practicing one week.
2: Uh-huh. We've already been
1: gone for a month,
2: uh-huh.
1: so no excuses, though, right? You know, so Derek Fisher kept telling me, "Hey, don't wake up the beast, man! Don't wake up the beast." I'm like, "Yeah, right." I said, well, <laughs> "I'm gonna tell you this right now: Kobe can't guard me. There's no, he he don't play no defense in the NBA." So I kept telling that to him, telling Lamar Odom, telling Paul Gasol, telling Kobe, and he kept laughing like, "Man, you can't be serious." <laughs> I said, and he's like, "No, you." He, he's like, "All right, so." Derek Fish was like, man, you keep talking to him, you going to wake the beast up. And I said, look, D. Fitch, the beast is right here who you he talking to. That's the beast. <laughs> in this so it was kind of like we talked a lot of stuff back and forth. And then Kobe got mad at one point. And he's like, this dude ain't – he's this guy for real. Mm-hmm. Like he ain't. He's not playing no games with me. Like this guy taking this matchup like the matchup of his life,
2: which Correct.
1: I was, right? <laughs> yeah. Then he just got serious. He's like, man, this guy going to embarrass me if, If I don't get serious. So Kobe got serious and he's like, all right, it's time to play now. But then it was too late because we already had the momentum going and I was already, you know, talking so much stuff to him. I don't think he even knew what was going on because it was like, this guy can't be for real. You know, I'm Kobe Bryant and this Mm -hmm. guy's talking all this trash to me. And I kept saying, man, you can't guard me. You can't shoot. You can't score on me. Every time you miss a shot, I'm looking at him laughing. Like, you serious? You serious? I mm-hmm. said, you look better on TV, man, than you do in person. <laughs> you know, just you know, just having a good time. So after the game, you know, um, I talked to him. We laughing. We hugging. And I said, man, we just competitors on the court. We having fun talking stuff. You know, this ain't none of this stuff personal. You know? Mm-hmm. So we take a picture. We both take our jersey off. We take a picture with the media. And um, he was like, all right, man, good game. Keep going. He was wore out. He was tired. You know, but it was all in fun. It, it wasn't anything personal. But when I step on the court, it could be my best friend. And you can you can call my best friend. He'll tell you, I got no friends on the basketball court.
2: Right. After right. the game,
1: hey, we, we might go out to dinner. You
2: mm-hmm. know, we,
1: we might laugh and joke. But when I'm on that court, there's nothing going to stop me from imposing my will on any player I play against. And that's right. what I did in that game. You know, that's what I did. And it was all fun, but competitive. You know, Kobe's so competitive; he brings it out in you. So that's kind of how it was. It was all in fun. It was a, it was a good time. But when the game was on, it was no fun. It was just straight business. Right. You know,
2: straight business. Uh, Where were you?
1: uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Where were you when you heard about um, Kobe's death? I was driving uh, to a G League game, so I was driving to a G League game, and one of my friends called me, and he's like. Tell me it ain't true about kobe and i was like what what's true that he died in the plane because i said what nah that's what i said now nah. that mm-hmm. ain't true i would have heard about it a long time ago and um so i put the phone down and you know i know tmz gonna have it. if anybody got his it, tmz right. so i put tmz in my phone and tmz had when t- when i seen tmz had it they don't report false information so when they, when I seen the hat, I was like, wow. And then I had to park my car and go into the arena and watch watching GB play. But so when I'm in the arena, i am there two hours before. So there's not many people there fans, but I keep seeing fans sharing their phone with mm-hmm. each other. Like everybody's like, wow. I see a lady put her hand over her mouth. and she looked at the phone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is for real. Yeah. I, it just got so serious. And all of a sudden it's 30 minutes before the game. And they put a big scream of his face, him and his daughter's face up there. I'm like, oh, my God. And then all the memories just started coming back.
2: Yeah. Like, you know,
1: all these pictures I got in my house of me and him playing that game. You know, like, you know, what he meant to basketball.
2: Oh, for sure. Because everybody
1: got a little piece of Kobe. Everybody, somewhere or somehow, you played against them. Or you have yep. a story. Like, I just gave you the story I had against them.
2: Everybody <laughs> right. had
1: a story. You know? Yep. Oh for sure. So I fly, have
2: yeah. When
1: you, when a guy like that passes away, I mean he touched millions of people, right?
2: So mm-hmm. everybody got
1: it. could be a little kid that got an autograph for him a long time ago, right?
2: Everybody right.
1: has their story. So, you know, we lost one of the greatest players to play the game, one of the most competitive. And for me, what's most important about his legacy, he was one of the best winners that we've ever <clears> had. For sure. So you gotta respect a guy who's won so many championships in his career. That's what I respect about him. That's why I played so hard against him. Mm-hmm. That's why. You know, if it was just some Joe Smollett, it would have just been another game. But we're talking about a guy who considered one of the greatest when you compare him and Jordan, things like that, right? So yeah. it was just unbelievable. I got that phone call. I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I would have heard it. Once TMZ right. confirmed it, that's when it started really going in my head, like, wow, this is unbelievable. So then and I put was- it. I was in denial with it for so long. Like, even after I saw the reports, saw his picture, the Gigi, I still just, it, it would not register in my head that Kobe Bryant was dead. It took so, it took weeks to even, like, I couldn't see a picture of his face. i go, no,
2: I just can't be, this can't
1: be true. Yeah. You know what I got from it? It, it made everybody feel human for mm-hmm. a while. LeBron James. Yeah. NBA player. Yep, damn, this could have just happened to me. Yep. Like, it it really put things in perspective. Mm-hmm. When you, a guy like Kobe who you say, Man, this guy got it all You know? He's a smart businessman, he got an Oscar, he's writing books, he's writing screenplays, he's got a great career, he's got a great family. He has it all. How does that happen, right? Yep. When that happens to a guy like that, you start putting your life in perspective too. Mm-hmm. And you start looking back at your family and your life, like now I need to appreciate everything I have and all the for friends sure. I have. Because this is like this is like bigger than just a regular tragedy. You know? Yep. And yep. that's kinda of how it happened. And I'll tell you what, it's it's still kind of numbing. This whole year of twenty twenty for basketball has been the worst year ever, <laughs> ever in the history <laughs> of basketball. Crazy. Ever. it, it really has. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I was I was telling someone I forget who I was talking to about this, but with where we are right now, everything's shut down. You you can't you can't go to a gym. You can't go to a game. If this would have happened a couple months ago, Kobe would still be alive. Yeah, I didn't he think wouldn't. About it that way, but that's he, he wouldn't been able to get on the helicopter, nope. and then Gigi and those those folks wouldn't be going to the Mamba Center. Mm-hmm. He'd still be with us. And, uh, often think about that, man. Life is fragile. It really is. So that's why, you know, it's, um, you know, that's why I always set these short term goals and these long term goals for myself, not just for myself personally, but for my family. Yeah. Everything in life matters now, you know, and then I'm the head of my household. So I got to set an example for my kids, for my son.
2: No, for sure.
1: uh, You know, you always have this thing when you leave the earth, You just make sure you leave it better. Than the way it started, right? He you mentioned yep. you put you instill the values and everything into your kids, um, and that's what Kobe did. So when he left, he left a legacy, but he also instilled a ton of values into his girl. You
2: mm-hmm. so, know,
1: so his life is just not left in vain. You know, yep. look at all the people in the world that was affected by this.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so you know you, you you wish one day when you do leave this earth, you have that type of effect on people. You know. Yep. Yeah, no question. Well, listen, I'd always like to end the podcast with quick questions, quick answers. So I want to do that with you. You ready? Let's do it. All right, quick questions, quick answers with Pete Michael. Number one, your favorite musical artist of all time? Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne? Lil Wayne. Anybody? No Michael Jackson, no Prince? Lil 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 Wayne. Wayne. And I'll say Juvenile is number two. Really? Yeah, all the time. That's I still listen to those guys, the same album from 1999. <laughs> I was just listening to it running two miles yesterday.
0: No, wait, wait, wait. Do you get that from
1: your Cincinnati days? That, that's from my Juco days. That's okay. from when I started listening to Lil Wayne and Birdman and Cash Money. Those are, you know, everybody has their style of music, but that's the style yep. that kind of reminds me of how I got to Cincinnati. You know, that music motivated me for that. Gotcha. Well, wow. I wasn't expecting that. One, I don't have, though. yeah, I don't have the Michael Jackson, the, nah, I don't have the greats in my mind. You know, my type of style was the juvenile, the Lil Wayne cash money, you know, that era, that's the era that I remember the most as far as, um, uh, what motivated me in a basketball gym. I, I would blare that music on those summer and those two hour in those Miami hundred degree heat weather gyms and blare mm-hmm. that music and get through my workout. That's how I got through my workout. For sure. For sure. All right, number two, favorite Air Jordan sneaker of all time. You know what? This is. I'm sorry, it ain't a quick answer, but I've never been a a, a fan of Jordan shoes. Never had a pair. Oh, you're killing me, Pete. Never. You're killing me. Uh, uh, all yeah. your days with the Bearcats? Come on, dog. You d- what? Well, that that was that was just um that was given to me as far as hat to wear. That I had to wear like still was not my my favorite my favorite shoes. never had a pair except for the ones I was given to to play in
0: okay what's your favorite sneaker of all time then
1: uh I'm not a big sneaker guy don't really have a favorite sneaker I'm not a big sneaker guy I was I was figuring you'd be a Kobe guy Kobe shoes. nah I, I couldn't wear Kobe's because they were low tops and mm. I had to wear high tops in my career because of the ankle okay that Okay. Fair enough. I'm going to let you slide on that, Pete. Now I'm telling you. <laughs> even the ones that I wore, you know, I just wore them because I had to wear them. I'm, I've never been a Jordan fan. I'm from Illinois, and people have been killing me all my life yeah. about how like I love the Lakers and how I hated the Bulls growing up. Nobody could understand that. My, my best friend to this world would tell you I gave him the Chicago Bulls ticket to go watch the Bulls when I got them for free for him because I uh-huh. wasn't a fan of the Bulls, never. Killing me, not you. You're, you're hurting me now because I, I, yeah. I grew up a Bulls fan, obviously, uh-huh. and you know how I was back at, at at Cincy. You know I was a sneaker guy. Yep. Oh yeah. No
2: doubt about that. Okay. All right. We're gonna we're gonna let that slide now.
1: <laughs> question number three. During your time at UC, okay, if you could go to battle, all right, you had to take one teammate from UC with you what teammate would you take to battle with you Kmart, you know that no doubt about that yep yep 100 percent.
0: last question what is
1: one skill or talent you have that people would be surprised to know about you oh that's that's a great one i, I would say that i'm close the closest you get to a professional fisherman as they come in the world fishermen Yep, 100%. Really? Yep, 100. Where'd you pick that up? Growing up in Illinois. Okay. Oh, still yeah. today.
2: Still to this oh, day.
1: To, oh, there's no doubt about that. No mm-hmm. doubt. That's been my thing my whole career. That's it. Going fishing. Yep, that's it. My, that's I've, part of the lifestyle. I've never been. Oh man, you're missing out. I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> You're missing out, I'm telling that's, uh, that's you. Get it. on that o- get on that ocean, man. Go get them big snappers and groupers out there in South Florida. You're <laughs> missing out on that. Now, so, so okay, so you go fish, you catch them, you go cook them, lay them up, lay them up, and cook them up.
2: So and you're that's good a beauty,
1: That's the beauty. That's the beauty of the process. Mm. The whole catch, clean, and cook process. So that's that's the one skill people might be surprised about.
2: Okay,
1: I'm I'm surprised. I wasn't expecting that one. Oh yeah. Now, here, here, so we're done with the quick, quick questions, quick answers. But I need to know this too. Can we get you back to a Bearcat basketball game sometime? <laughs> Fans want to yeah. see you, Pete. Huh? I, I, I would, I would say it, it would be it would be um, a special day if that day ever happened. That I, I can really say that it would be a very special day. Been twenty years. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. It's it's been a while. Um, if that happened, I'll I'll tell you what, that'll be very special day to me, for me. Yeah. Yeah, but we, we'd we'd love to have you back and walk around Clifton. The the campus is totally different now. You, you would be like, wait a minute, what is this? I I heard, I heard it's beautiful. It is. P, you would be lost. Like I, I I live here and I still, I'll go over there and I'm like, I have no idea where I'm going. So. Just completely different, new buildings. Um, they've done a fantastic job, and um, you know, there's a new arena um, mm-hmm. for basketball. It's great. They did a nice job with it. You'd be uh, pleasantly surprised with with how nice it is. But yeah, if you're ever in the area, um, hit me up. Love to get you back, man. And uh, yeah. And, so, and I, I want you to know, man. So many of the Bearcat fans just like appreciated you during your time here. I don't know how well you know that, but I'm telling you that. Yeah, I appreciate that because, you know, of course, I haven't been back there in a long time and really haven't spoke to anybody in Cincinnati, so that's that's refreshing to hear. You know, I've always kept that, those two years in, in the Bearcats, in that uniform, still have that uniform <laughs> for this day hanging up. And <laughs> no, I've, I've, yeah, I've always kept that close to me. You know, that was a start-up. Of what i've able to accomplish you know the 17 year career i had after cincinnati yeah no for sure for sure man well listen man this has been great um and the bearcat fans are going to be so excited to hear about your journey uh what you've been up to and I'm, I'm just i'm just excited for them to hear that man good to catch up with you and hopefully we have an opportunity uh, to uh see each other again man i need to come to a wizards game yeah, let, let me know, man. Well, you know, I'm always on the road. I don't get to go to Wizards game myself, but I might be go. somewhere close to you.
2: Okay.
1: If Louisville right. get that team. They say they won. That would be great. Yeah. Let me know. I'll be, yeah. Hopefully, I'll be around. So, well, hey, man, I appreciate you doing this, man. appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll definitely catch up soon, okay? All right, Alex. Take care, man. Good talking right, to you.
0: You too, man. Take care. All right. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat at BigMeach41 and soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bear Cats!